Welcome to The Readerly Report, a podcast of Readerly Magazine. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So, welcome to another edition of The Readerly Report. Gail and I are here to discuss our Summer Classics Challenge. You'll get to hear how we fared. We have a bit of a fall preview. Um, We each picked five to six books that we're really excited to read this fall because, you know, all the books come out this in the fall. So I really had to, I really had to, I don't know. I made a big list of things that I wanted to read and then I had to kind of let it sit a little. And then when I was sitting there, I just thought of the things that just really jumped out at me that I wanted to read because otherwise I would have, never have been able to narrow it down to just five or six books. Yeah, there's like an embarrassment of riches again this fall. So Gail, why don't you start us off by telling, remind us of your choices, what you were, you know, the two books that you were supposed to be reading. One was supposed to be a reread of a classic and another, the other was supposed to be a classic that you had already read. So remind us of your books and tell us how I fared. Yeah. So I we'll get a 50% on this one. We're going to fail the classics challenge because I only did one of them. So for my book that I never read that I wish I had, it was 1984 by George Orwell. And for the book I was going to reread, I think in the end I picked Jane Eyre and I never, I never did it. And part of it was that after finishing after 1984, I was like not in the mood for another challenge. And also I realized that Jane Eyre was really long and there was a bunch of other stuff I wanted to read. So I apologize both to you and to our readers who might have participated in this challenge because I did not hold up my end to the bargain and I didn't reread Jane Eyre. I just, I don't know. 1984 was, I'm glad I read it. It's like medicine. I'm glad I did it. It was not enjoyable while I was reading it. And so if you're one of the, you know, two people on the planet who like me had not read 1984, it takes place in a dystopian version of 1984. It was written in the 50s. The Thought Police and Big Brother, who is, which is basically just this government regime, have taken over society, not only just in sort of economically and socially, but also mentally. Like they have infiltrated people's brains and they can monitor your thoughts. And it's it's very scary to think of a world like that where the only way you can survive is to not only pledge allegiance to the party, but actually believe it. Because if you just are faking it in order to get by, you will be caught and you will be killed. So um, there's been a lot of comparisons to 1984 uh, over the last several years and particularly since the last election. And you hear in this era of fake news and you hear about as sort of civil liberties get chipped away and as free speech is threatened and certainly as the role of the press is challenged by our administration, I can understand why people make these, these comparisons. And, um, I'm glad I read it. It, it's, it provides a lot of context for me when people make that reference and it's a very scary and, what's the word, jarring, very disquieting read. 
And, uh, you know, it certainly makes you want to do everything in your power to prevent our society from heading in that direction. That said, I didn't think it was like the greatest book I've ever read. I thought it was really repetitive. It, you know, maybe it's just the style of the 1950s compared to now. Right. Um, I find that a lot with like classic books. Yeah. They're just so wordy. Wordy and also just like not subtle. Like there's, there was just, you know, that book it's, I understand it's fiction, but it was like. Was it like a sledgehammer? Yeah. It was like a sledgehammer and it was very repetitive and you get it. It's like, he almost just didn't trust his reader to kind of like connect the lines and connect the dots and. Well, I wonder if because it was written, it was written at a time when maybe that would have been more unthinkable to people. Yes, that's possible. And and it's so much easier for us to make the connections now. Because in the 1950s, I, you know, I, a very small population probably would have been able to foresee what we're living now and the things that we have access to. Yes, I think that's a really good point. And you know, we have been hearing about, I've been hearing about 1984 for so long that maybe that was why it didn't feel so revolutionary and, you know, groundbreaking because I've been hearing these ideas for so long about 1984. Um, the final like third of the book has the main character being tortured, like very graphically for many, many, many pages. And I just, honestly, I just wanted to finish that book so badly. I was, it was, it was really not fun to get through. So when that was done and I had the option to go back to contemporary fiction or reread Jane Eyre, I have to admit, I leaned back to a contemporary fiction. That's right. But I I thought you loved Jane Eyre. I think I did, but I read it in high school and I don't remember. Right. I I think I read 1984 in high school and I don't remember it. Oh, you don't remember it. Interesting. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm glad I did half the challenge. I wish I'd done the other half, but maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll try to get to it before the end of the year. I was about to say you still have, I mean, a 2017 is still here. That's true. So that is true. So we you... will we'll mark you incomplete. Okay. We, that's fine. We won't give you an F yet. That's fine. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. So tell me about what books you read. Cause I know you read them both. Okay, so, well, I would get a 75 on this. Oh, So I might DNF. take an incomplete, too. Okay. Um, I did reread Lady Audley's Secret, which I remember I had read a few years back, maybe four or five years ago I had read it, and I really liked it because it was different from a lot of the classics in terms of just, I think, having a more, I guess, a more pronounced plot. I find with a lot of classics, sometimes it can be a bit meandering, and there's, like, a lot of scenic stuff. And there definitely was a lot of scenic stuff in Lady Audley's Secret, but it was sort of like a mystery thriller with this woman who marries, you know, a rich widow and it's, you know, there a murder occurs or there's some sort of disappearance and you just spend the whole book getting to know her character and getting to know what may or may happen with this missing person and how they're connected to her. And of course, at the time, it was super groundbreaking because people didn't really think of women as capable of committing crimes like this. I think women were allowed to be hysterical. Women were allowed to be told what to do, but they definitely did not 
you know, we're not portrayed as having, I guess, the agency to to act in such a nefarious way to possibly further their own interests. So, and it definitely holds your attention. Like there, there was some scenic stuff or there was, there were definitely times when it got a little bit wordy. The funny thing about that was when I originally read it, I think that I mistakenly, actually I listened to it on audio and I probably mistakenly listened to something that was abridged because when I went to read it, it was indeed like, 550 or 600 pages. Okay. Which was a little like daunting. Yes. So, which was, I was really happy that Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde was not that long. And I thought that I would whiz through it and I didn't finish it yet. (laughs) Oh no. Okay. I just found the misogyny in that book was just a bit hard for me to take. I don't know. I just didn't find any of the characters very amusing. They all just seem to be mean-spirited, and I don't know. They don't value anything, really, in life. It was just, I don't, it just felt ugly to be reading it, so. Interesting. So both you and I had slightly negative or not-so-slightly negative reactions to the books we picked. Yeah, which is really funny because John Banville has a book coming out on November 7th called Mrs. Osmond. And it's supposed to be like a retelling of Portrait of a Lady from the point of view of, I believe, the villain. Or it's like a continuation. Like I have not, I know that I want to read this because I felt feel like I have read other John Banville novels that I've enjoyed. And I, I don't, I love retellings. I love something that can frame a classic in a way that might give me enough understanding to make me go and investigate it. And I love to see how people update the classics. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is I have not read Portrait of a Lady and it's like 600 pages long, but I bought it and I've read the first chapter. So <laughs> hmm. okay. hopefully I will get through it and have something to report. But like I said, I'm going to take an incomplete And who knows? I'm not sure what I was reading at the time that I was reading Dorian Gray. So, you know, maybe I was just like, we talked about this a little bit in the last podcast, that so much of what you are reading is depending on what, dependent upon what you read before and how it's stacking up. So I don't know if I was just in the middle of a bunch of books where I did not like the characters. Um, Because I think I was also trying to read Ray Bradbury's the Martian Chronicles, and I was just sort of eh on that. So I will let Dorian rest a little. Okay. And I'm going to try to approach it with a fresh mind when I've read something that I really enjoyed and loved. And, you know, maybe I won't find them so hateful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So mixed, mixed results for the Classics Challenge, which is not quite finished. Right. Well, we will revisit Yes, at the end of the year. Yes. All right, so let's move into all the goodies that are um, going to be coming out over the next few weeks. I don't know. Is there anything on your list that's already come out? I mean, I know the books are starting to, um, they're starting to fly out right now. There's one that has, and with the other, with two of them, I just wrote September, and I didn't write the um actual date so I'm going to check that right now I'm going to go on to Goodreads and check when 
they're actually coming out. But one of them came out on the 5th. Uh, one came out, um, comes out the 12th, so this week. So this is very timely. And I'm just checking the other one. How about you? Or do you have anything that's already out? Oh, actually, Sam and Rusty's new book is already out called The Golden House. And I'm really excited to read that. I mean, I've read some of his other books. I really enjoy his writing. I feel like I started something but maybe didn't finish it, but I enjoyed the writing. Probably just got distracted. But I'm excited for this one. Well, sort of excited, but sort of... I just saw something when I was looking up the description in preparation for the show. I saw that it said something like British slash Irish humor and satire. And I'm just Hmm. thinking, uh uh-oh. I have not ever read anything by Salman Rushdie. So this one is set. This one I might like because it's going to take me back in time to Barack Obama's inauguration. So it's in a political time that I enjoy very much. And it's about this billionaire who moves into a house. He takes up residence in this house and his family comes to join him. And it's just kind of all about their lives. And it's supposed to be about politics and culture and we see satire. So, and they describe it as a mixture between the great Gatsby, which seems to, you know, is getting thrown around a lot this summer with the Stephanie Powell Watts book that was out. But so it's a cross between the Great Gatsby and Bonfire of the Vanities are supposed to be the two comparisons. Ooh, so I mean, very go wrong with those two. I know, very intrigued by that. So, and that's out already. Let's see. Why don't I pick one that's out already as well? So there's a book out that I'm intrigued by called The Other Alcott, which is by Elise. Cooper, and it came out on the 5th, so a couple days ago. I saw that on your list. I don't know why that surprised me that you'd be interested in that. Do you oh, really? Tell? I don't know. I like, um, I always like sort of fictionalized retellings of people's lives. So this one uh, goes to... That's another place where our tastes then dovetail, because give me any fictionalized or really heavily based on a true story of a writer, and I just want to read it. Yeah. Yeah, so... Or artist or... An artist, writer. Remember. Somebody, exactly. Right. Um, This is about the youngest sister of Louisa May Alcott, who shares a birthday with me. And um, this is about her sister, whose name I've now forgotten, but she was fictionalized in Little Women as Amy. So... Apparently, she was... She was not happy about that, right? She was not happy Her about depiction. it, right? She thought it was not flattering. And so apparently, she had a, a, a life of her own and was, you know, her had her own personality that did not actually match the way she was supposedly depicted in the book. Um, I don't know. It just so you've read, you've read Little Women? I mean, not recently. We're but yes. Probably, did you like Amy? I don't in remember. The book? I don't remember. You don't remember if you liked Amy? No. I didn't like Amy. Well, I didn't like Amy because she married Lori and Joe oh, was supposed to marry that's Lori. Right. That's right. Um, I don't really remember, but I kind of thought this would be a fun book. I think I heard about this in a HarperCollins preview, blogger preview, uh, a couple weeks ago, and it just sounded good. It sounded like just based on the kind of chat stream that was going on alongside that chat, or alongside the presentation. A lot of people are really interested in this book. So um, I put I threw that on the list because I thought maybe some of our listeners might want to 
might want to check that one out. So that's called The Other Alcott. Do you know if it's coming out in hardcover? I assume it is, but let me double check. Paperback, no? It's a paperback now. Mm-hmm. And it came out on the 5th. Okay. So that is my first book. So there's a couple of books that everyone can just get their hot little hands on right now. Yes. So next up on my list that's coming out October 3rd is another book by a big author. Jennifer Egan is following up The Goon Squad. Which Um, I never read. I listened to it on audio, or I listened to some of it on audio and didn't finish because I think it was a book that had graphs and charts in it. I've read a few of her other books. I love her writing. I don't always love the entire book, though. So one I really liked, one I didn't like as much. The Goon Squad I never finished, but I am very interested in this book about um, a character called Anna Carrigan, who is growing up with her father in New York City, and he disappears while the country's at war. So she goes to work at a Brooklyn naval yard, um, because I guess this is when they are allowing women to in the workforce because you know all the men are at war and they need hands on deck. And she becomes uh, one of the first female divers. And it's described as a noir thriller. So I'm sure that they are there are going to be other elements involved. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. And I picked up a copy of this at BEA. I think you did too. Did I? Did I don't keep... think I did. Did you? No? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Did you say you didn't like her? I feel like we stood online for that, so I would have been surprised that you didn't get it. Uh, I don't. I don't have much of an opinion on her because I've never read. I never read anything. I think you'd like her writing. I don't. You know, sometimes I feel like she goes in ways that I don't completely understand or that don't interest me. But her writing is wonderful. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um. Okay. So my next book is nonfiction and it's already come out. It's called the best of us by Joyce Maynard. So Joyce Maynard is an author. I like a lot. I've read a bunch of her books and one of the ones that really stood out to me last year was her book called under the influence. And I think I wrote a review that she commented on, but somehow we sort of like started corresponding a little bit. And I eventually started following her Facebook, Facebook page I guess it's her. Was this the one where she where she was excited that you were reading her book, or is that someone else? Um, no, I think she liked the review, and then we sort of like went back and forth about the plot a little bit, which I was so excited about because I, you know, had some questions and she answered them. But I started following her Facebook wall or Facebook her public Facebook page, I think it was, and I was learning about she married this guy late in life, like in the, her fifties or maybe even in her early sixties. And she met this guy. He was a lawyer in San Francisco. She had been long divorced and they met and fell in love and got married. And it just, by all accounts, he was this completely amazing guy and the perfect guy for her. And they had this very adventurous relationship and they traveled and bought motorcycles and did, you know, sort of, she sort of had this renaissance in her life, this, you know, unexpected recharge to her life. And then he was diagnosed with cancer and she went, you know, they went through a couple of really rough years of him having chemo and going through deterioration and, um, 
he died last year, I think it was last year. And she wrote about this very honestly on her Facebook page about how she was canceling a lot of her author appearances because he was too sick to travel. And, you know, I love her writing. And what I found that when she was writing about her own life as opposed to fictional, I was, you know, really moved by it as well. So she has a memoir out about her life with this man and his death. And I mean, I'm sure it's going to be extremely depressing, but, um, just from what I saw on her Facebook page, it has made me want to read this. And I did pick this one up at BEA. So I will try to get to that this fall. I I just, I'm really a big fan of hers and I'd, I'd like to read, you know, hear more about, about him and about their life together, even though I know how it ends and how sad it's going to be. So that is called the best of us by Joyce Maynard. And it, came out last week Mm, sounds good yeah okay so next up i have this book at bea is where i first heard about it and i think that was when we were at the uh the book club speed dating session okay so it's coming out i think from source book it's called the end of the world running club it's described as a post-apocalyptic thriller It's about a man who's stranded um, on the other side of the country from his family, from his wife and kids. And I guess there is no transportation or anything. So he literally has to run to the other side of the world in order to reunite himself with his family. Mm, I think I picked this one up too. And I mean, isn't that such an intriguing premise? Like, so... The comparison that they make for this book is to The Martian, which I listened to on audio and really enjoyed. And I'm assuming that they, you know, that this comparison would be made because it is, you know, a person striking out on their own and what he might encounter in order to be saved in terms of being reunited with his family. So I'm not sure of the nature of this post-apocalyptic world, but I'm definitely very... Uh, just very curious about this. Sounds mm. sounds interesting. Okay. All right. Maybe I'll pick that one up too. I think I think I have that in the box. <laughs> Where is your box these days, Gail? Um, probably the same place it was the last time you saw it. If you've seen it, it's like sitting on the floor in my living room. <laughs> and you just kind of move it around if you have company. Or yeah, I think I've even like given up on it. It's sort of tucked away a little bit. Uh huh. Although even more tucked away. There was that last one year where box. you were just like. I just remember you saying, uh, I'm having people coming over and I had to like hide my box in the oh, car. Oh, in the car. Yeah. No, it's, it's bad. So behind the couch is last year's box. And then I, that not so hidden is this year's box. It's, it's pathetic. One of the things that we're going to start working on, on this podcast is every time we're going to make Gail come and give us five to 10 titles and I'm just going to help her decide. Oh my God. That is a great thing to do on the show. I love that. What she needs to get rid of, or maybe people can vote on it. Yeah. It's a really good thing that people listen to the podcast cannot see my house because the piles of books that I have stashed in different rooms, they're in four different rooms and there are so many by my bed, in my den, in my attic, in the boxes, in the living room. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. It's 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 really like um, it's actually not pathetic. It's like uh, it's like a, a mental problem. Like it's it's really something I need to work on. Um, but I, I keep well, thinking I'm going to clarify read them. for myself though. Okay. Yeah. I know you gave 
the windfall to the little free library because correct it, it was the windfall. Oh yeah, these are all books I have not read. No, but you keep the books that you read. Don't I've you? gotten much better about that. It has okay. to be a really, really good book for me to keep it. Like I would okay, say, good. out of ten books, I keep two. Oh, good. Yes. Oh, so yeah, you're making progress. Yes. No, I've gotten much better about that as I've gotten older because I'm realizing like that's. It, I love to look at them on the shelf, but they should be books that bring me joy when I look at them on the shelf, not books that I was like, eh. So no, I'm I am recycling, repassing on donating a lot of the books that I read. So the the piles are books I haven't read because I feel like I might yeah. want to read them. Well, I feel like it's so weird when people come over and they look at my books and they're just like, have you read this? And have you read that? And have you read that? And it's like, no, no, I'm going to get to it. Not really. Not right. Yet. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And people are like, God, this is so impressive. And I'm like, why? I haven't read them yet. Right. But it is because you've gotten better about giving them away, and I definitely, my thing about finishing a book is I don't often reread books, so it has to be a book that I feel like I really enjoyed reading it so much that sometimes I would just like to pick it up and just read a page or read a passage and remember how much I loved it, because I probably won't read the whole thing. But some of them, and some of them, you know, I'll be talking to someone and it'll trigger something and I'll go and look for something. So it has to be a book like that. I mean, if it's... That's exactly how I feel about it, right? If it's like a thriller that I really enjoyed, it's a thriller, you know? I'm going to read yeah, you're not going to read one. it again. You're not going to read gonna it again because right. you know yeah. how it ends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I've been getting rid of a lot of books and, and also I've been... This is the weird thing. I have all these books in the house and then I'm constantly getting books from the library. So it's like, I mean, those good news. I had to cut the library off. I really had to. I was just like, this makes absolutely no sense. I have not stopped buying books, but I have at least cut the library off. And what I use a library for is that if I start to read a book, I will try to sync it up and get either and get the ebook from the library mm -hmm. so that I can have it on my phone. And if I'm going someplace, you know, if I'm going out and I have to bring a little purse, like if I'm forced to bring a little purse, then I can read it on my phone. Right. Or if I'm someplace where it would not be appropriate for me to read a book, but I can look at my phone, then I would do it then. And right. that's been working well for me. Or, yeah, or just in terms of if I have an audio book and if I can get a copy of it for my e-reader, same, same thing. Yeah. Because otherwise, it was just crazy. It's like, you've got to stop. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's bad. All right, well, let's get back to the books. Um, okay. Let's get yeah, back to more books that I can get into the house. Books. Yeah. More books that I either have in the house or want to have in the house. Uh, okay, so the next one I'm going to pick is one of my favorite authors, Jeffrey Eugenides. He has a book of short stories coming out in the beginning of October called Fresh Complaint. Now, I have read two books by Jeffrey Eugenides, no, three, and I liked two of them. So I loved Middlesex, and I loved The Virgin Suicides, and I did not love the one that he wrote about a couple from Brown, and I can't think of their name. I can't think of the name of that book. I found Was that The Marriage Plot? Thank you. Yes. Is that what it's called? The Marriage Plot? I think that's right. Mm -hmm. And that one I didn't love, but I did love the first two. And uh, he has some short stories coming out, and they are described as being about characters in the midst of personal and national crises, which I thought sounded very intriguing. 
So I think they were passing out like one, like a little bound version of one of the stories at BEA. And I can't remember whether I took that or not. Because I was irritated that when I like had waited in this whole line and then it was like a pamphlet. So I can't remember if I actually took it. But I am looking forward to checking that one out when it comes out. I'm not always the biggest fan of short stories because they leave me a little unsatisfied. But for right. Jeffrey Eugenides, I'm happy to make you, an exception. You will try. <laughs> yes. I will try. Um, that reminds me that Amy Tan had a memoir out that I stood in line for and I got it. And it was like, oh, this is an excerpt. Oh, it's so irritating. And then I took a bad picture with her that I couldn't even post because it was terrible. My eyes were only half open. So see if I read her book now. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, All right. Okay, your turn. So the next book on my list is called Ranger Games. It's nonfiction. The subtitle is A Story of Soldiers, Family, and an Inexplicable Crime. So when people inexplicably do things, I'm always intrigued by that. So it's about this guy who has just worked so hard. His one goal is to be a U.S. Army Ranger. He has done everything that he can. He has gone through the selection process. He's going to be leaving to actually do this, I think, within a couple of weeks. And then he goes, yeah, he's about to be deployed to Iraq. And then he goes with a group of this, of four people and he robs a bank like why would he do that it sounds kind of like the the jessica beale um miniseries that you read the book for right right the sinner except yeah. for this is real um it's by ben blum wrote the book and it's about his cousin so he doesn't know why he ruined his life yeah it really does sound like that and then, I don't know, they start, sort of start thinking that maybe a cult, a cult is involved. And I've read a little bit of it. Like I think I have a digital review copy that I flipped through a little bit. And, you know, it is narrative nonfiction. So it's set up to be story-like and easy to read. And the writing is good. And I'm really interested in getting, you know, how we love our military stories. Like what yes. goes in the military. Yes. Um, cause it's such a foreign mindset for me. Like I have no desire to be in the military. Right. But like, I can't get enough of reading about it, but I can't get enough of yeah. reading about Same it. And I know people books about prison. serve. Right. 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 Books about prison. I can't get enough of it, but I don't actually want to do it. Go to prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after reading about it. Right. All right. So what's up next for you? How um, many- Let's do, I've got two, couple well, more. three more. Why don't we each do two more? How's that? Okay. Okay. So I'll try to pick, I've got three here, but I won't do all of them. Um, okay. I heard about this book again at the HarperCollins preview a couple weeks ago, and it's called An Excess Mail. It is also dystopian, and it is about, um, the, the author is Maggie Shen King, and it takes place in China, and it is about the bad effects of the one child policy a generation later. So what you do is I saw that on your list and that really was curious to me because when I was in Thailand I ran into this guy from China who I think was traveling with his daughter. And one of my friends commented on the fact that now there is this shortage because they did have that mm-hmm. everyone wanted a male child so now there's like no 
there's no women there to have the children. Right. right. And to raise them. Right. So in this society, um, it's set in near future China that there's 40 million men who can't find a wife because they, uh, you know, everyone just wanted sons, like you said. It's about, so, so women can marry more than one man. So they create this polygamist, legalized polygamy, but it's a reverse of the polygamy that we know in the United States where one man has several wives. This is the reverse. And I think some of this is sort of starting to happen. Like, cause my friend is just sort of was telling me about how the women don't stay. Right. I don't think it's legalized, but they're not staying or they have, you know, they move. It's, it's shifted the power dynamic. Yeah. Well, that was what was interesting is the way they described this was that it, it didn't shift the power dynamic that it was here was this polygamous thing, but it's not like the women found themselves in the position of powerful. Yeah. In the position of power. So, um, I, you know, I, will I get to this one? I don't know. It just sounded really interesting to me. And that sounds really interesting. I yeah. Wanna... It says the intersection of marriage, family, gender, and state in an all too plausible future. So this book is already out in paperback. It came out – no, I'm sorry. It comes out on Tuesday, September 12th. So um, I, I might try to get my hands on this one somehow. That just looked really cool. From that same presentation, I think we heard about this book, uh, like you said, in terms of being interested in retellings of historical figures, writers, artists – What's big these days, and I had a couple of books to mention, the Little House books. Yes. They're having, um, they're having a moment. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're always, I feel like there's always something coming out in the last 10 years. I don't know. We're having a moment of nostalgia. And not that those times were really great, but I think in these times, the past always seems better than it is, I think. But... So there's a book called Caroline Little House Revisited coming out by Sarah Miller, and it's just exploring the little house years through the mother's perspective, like how she felt to have, you know, been moving across the prairie with her husband. And I would expect that it would have a more accurate representation of what their lives were like, because, of course, everyone loves the little house books because they're told from the point of view of the kids, Mm-hmm. And a lot of is sort of glamorized, you know, like, oh, they hang their, their laundry on the wash or they make candy, you know, on by putting syrup in the snow when it freezes. And so I'm sure that Ma's life is probably <laughs> a little bit more intense than that. I mean, mm-hmm. when, if you think about raising a family in the wilderness without any kind of, you know, dishwasher, washing machine or anything. And we're talking about people who are growing and like curing their own food. So I think you're right too, that, um, there's like a, a lot of nostalgia going on, sort of a desire, not only for a simpler life or a, a, a kind of wistfulness for a simpler life. So going back to the life that they led, but also for our own childhoods when we read the little house. These books. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then there's another one that's called Prairie Fires and it's the American dream of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I think that that one just talks about 
you know, how people really only know Laura Ingalls Wilders from, from Wilders, Laura Ingalls Wilder from the books. And this is sort of like a more accurate portrayal of her life based on her diaries and her letters. And it's by Caroline Frazier, which is interesting because that was love. Caroline is Laura's mother's name. Right. We both picked this up at BEA, right? This was a Algonquin book. The Prairie Fires one? Oh, no. We got that other. No. Is there like a, no, there's like a cookbook. No, it's not a cookbook, but it's sort of like. Yes. It I'm... shows the real, dis- the real places that they visited. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We could pick up something. I know. Okay. Is it my turn? Yep. Okay. So uh, this is the last one that I'll mention. And this is Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her not in the last name right. NG. She yeah. Is- her, her, her Instagram handle or something is, is pronounced I N G. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Okay. So then we know I'm right. So she wrote a book called everything I never told you, which a lot of people really loved. I didn't love it that much. I thought it was kind of left me a little cold. It was one of those disappearing kids stories and then told from different perspectives, like the kid's sister and her brother and her parents. And I didn't love it, but, um, this one sounds kind of interesting. It takes place in, I think a town in suburban Ohio and it's about parents. And I guess one couple adopts a baby from China, which spurs all kinds of racial issues. And I don't know, it sounded good. And yeah, it looks really good. I want to read that. I have it. Yeah, I think we both got that at BEA. And I think I have it on audio, so maybe I'll, that'll be one of my you know audio reads in the next month or two. So I'm, I'm going to give her another chance, even though I wasn't blown away by her last one. So the last two books I'm going to mention, because they're sort of on the same, in the same wheelhouse. And I guess, you know, we read Real American by Julia Lithcott Hames. Mm-hmm. Hame, and we really enjoyed it. And I think I had mentioned that I read Tanahasi Coates' book, and he is coming out with a book on October third called "We Were Eight Years in Power: An American Tragedy." Um, oh, what a great title! <laughs> <laughs> and he is connecting it to. Reconstruction. He said that that was a catchphrase that went on, you know, Reconstruction right after the Civil War when the government was trying to integrate and, you know, treat black people as people and give them positions of power. And it only lasted eight years before there was like the Klan and things kind of reverted to Jim Crow. Um, So I think he's kind of going to be making a comparison. He's going to be exploring what it meant to have a black president and what that means for the country going forward in terms of the election, you know, what Mm -hmm. happened right after he was eight years in power. So I'm really curious and interested to read that. And um, so a journalist called Matt Taibbi has written a book called I Can't Breathe, The Killing on Bay Street. Okay, so this one is, is, is a work of literary journalism that is taking a look at what happened on July 17th, 2014, with the killing of Eric Garner right. in Staten Island. So I mentioned those both because after 
reading Real American and, you know, Coates' last book, I'm just really curious to see what a journalist has found out. I found, I find the books that journalists write can write after they've been able to gather facts are so much more compelling, you know, because when you're getting information as it happens, it's not sometimes the best way to put it together. So it's always interesting for me to look at a coordinated look at what was going on at the time. Like um, the books that I read about Columbine or, and Katrina, they've just been so eye-opening. And these are the, I guess, the heavyweight nonfiction books that I am really looking forward to getting into, you know, this fall and winter. Hmm. Yeah, sounds good. And, uh, and this one, and this one, the Matt Taibbi book is coming out October 24th. All right. So we've covered some of the books we're looking forward to reading this fall. And hopefully some of these have piqued your interest if you're listening. And before we sign off, do you want to just say quickly if there's a book or two that you have finished recently that you want to mention? Why am I not prepared for this? We do this all the time. <laughs> can, can you go first? Sure. I'd be happy to go first. So I just finished a book that you and I both, at least I know you started it. I don't know if you got very far with it. The Misfortune of Marion Palm. You finished it? I did finish it. Is it worthwhile? I mean, I've read like, I get to the part where she's trying, she's tried to stay at the Apple store all night and she's trying to figure her way out of the city. And I just have not been engaged in this book. So why don't you set it up and tell (laughs) us what it's about? Yeah. So it's about a woman who lives in Brooklyn who embezzles $150,000, $120,000 from her kid's school. And now she's on the run because the books are starting to catch up with her and she's got to get out of town. So she's left her two kids and her husband and she's, trying to figure out where to go. And as Nicole just mentioned, she ends up spending her first night in the Apple store, be, uh, like off of central park. Cause she's got nowhere to go. It's a weird book. I would probably not recommend that you finish it. If it didn't grab you from the beginning, it doesn't get much different. It rotates perspective between her, her kids, the detective who's kind of following her case and her husband. They're all incredibly unlikable people. They all seem very implausible. Like, I don't care if a character is likable or not, but I have to believe that this type of person would actually exist. I just, I, I, it was a chore to finish this one. I did it on audio. I finished maybe the last 20% of it on in print just so I could get it done. And I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. Yeah. Disappointing. All right. Well, I read one that won't be coming out until January, The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn. It was a really fun read. Like, I really enjoyed it. It was, I guess, sort of popcorn. It's sort of like lots of Hitchcock send-ups. You know, it reminds you of so many old movies like Rear Window and Vertigo. And, you know, it's this woman who watches through her window and you discover what has happened to her to give her agoraphobia. So she can't leave her house Mm -hmm. and she thinks that she's seen a crime, but it was a little bit more than popcorn that these thrillers usually are because she goes into the movies that she selected and sort of, you get a little bit of, you know, a feel for movie history and some of the old Hitchcock movies and old black and white suspense movies or whatever. So that was a really fun aspect of it. And it was just smartly written and well put together. You know, it wasn't like 
you get to the ending and it's just like you couldn't see it coming because it was super implausible. Everything kind of hangs together and it's just really fun to read. Hmm. Okay. So that should be on your radar for January. It's coming out. But one of the things that I finished, which I really enjoyed, was The Futilitarians. I think I mentioned it on the podcast because I was reading it at the time. Uh, the subtitle is Our Year of Thinking, Drinking, Grieving, and Reading by Anne Gislason. Okay. And I finished it, and I really enjoyed that book. I mean, there. I guess the conceit or the premise of it is that, you know, after just a lot of hardship and deaths and grief going on with her and with some of her friends, they decide to form an existential reading, an existential reading group. So they meet once a month and they discuss these readings that have been laid out. So some of the readings are from texts that are really old and sort of just detailed and in depth. And some of their discussions are very, I don't, you know, just really philosophical stuff. I don't pretend to have been able to follow all of the readings, but her background in history and sort of what she's processing informs a lot of the chapters and that those parts were really fascinating. You know, she talks a lot about how dominant her father was and what it was like growing up with him. And she has these twin sisters who've committed suicide like a year and a half apart. Her and her husband, his wife had died 10 year, 10, not 10 years, 10 months before they met. So she's kind of helping him raise his child with another woman and she becomes pregnant and it's set post Katrina. So it's like, as they are rebuilding their lives in New Orleans after Katrina and just, just, there's just so much fascinating in her life. So much that, you know, so many astute observations about life that you can take away from it. And just all of that stuff is really interesting. So it was a really good book. Oh, good. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground tonight. And, We've uh, covered a lot of ground tonight, and I just want to mention to everyone that we are going on a brief, probably four to six week hiatus just to do some housekeeping and get together some new topics for some new podcasts. So we should be back, I don't know, late October, November, probably with some gift guide ideas, and we're planning on telling you the books that we wish we had not finished. I think you might have some idea of what those might be. And we'll probably announce another sort of challenge type thing or book club picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like our book club podcast was very popular. So yeah. So we'll, we'll read some books. And I think in we have some, yeah, I think we have some books anyway that we want to read in common. So yeah, it'll, it was fun to check in on those. I like that. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, so we'll take a little break here, but when we catch up back with you uh, later this fall, we'll have lots to share. So until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com, and you can find me, Gail, blogging at Every Day I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com, and Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep reading.